We're going to talk this morning about grace. Our passage is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. There will be a lot of other scriptures throughout, but you can take this down as we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not for yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one may boast. It's work out for all people. Alright, so this morning I'm going to present a Methodist understanding of grace, and uh, there's an important part of this, and that is that all grace is God's grace. Say that with me. All grace. See, we experience this one grace of God in a lot of different ways as we continue on our spiritual journey. So what this is, what I'm going to talk about this morning, we're looking at one grace, right? It's one grace. It's God's grace. It's not a lot of different graces. But have you ever looked at, at like, a prism? And you shine a light in it from over here, and, and it shows one, one thing. And then you shine a light from over here, it might show something else. That's kind of what we're talking about when we look at grace this morning. So, the three things we're going to talk about. One is provenient grace, one is justifying grace, one is sanctifying grace. But again, how many graces is it? One. one grace. All grace is God's grace. Provenient grace. And provenient grace uh, is a, is a, well, I'll get to that in a minute. What it is, is God's activity from the moment of conception to the moment that we say yes to his offer. So when we... When, when we're born, God's grace is with us. We haven't said yes yet, but His grace is still around us. Psalm 139 would tell us from, the, from when we're in the womb, God, God is, God's grace is there for us. Justifying grace is the gift of God by which we accept the offer that God offers us, that moment of, of conversion. Sanctifying grace is the gift of God that provides us the desire and the power to continue this journey uh, as a Christian. If we don't do it alone, and, and if we try to do it of our own power, we fall short. So, provenient grace. It comes from the Latin word prevenir, which, which means to come before. So, you know, you, it's a funny word. It's the only place I've actually ever seen it, is talking about grace from a Methodist perspective. So, the, the important three letters to remember in prevenient are P, R, and E. Because pre means before. And so, prevenient grace is the grace that comes before. So that's how we remember what that is. Prevenient grace is the grace that comes before. So what is grace? Well, grace comes from a Greek word, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And what that means is gift. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about how God offers us this wonderful gift of grace. And he takes it and he puts it out here and he says, this is your gift. Kid, this is your gift right here. And, and it's it's for you, and it has your name on it, and it's just for you. The kid has to respond to that, right? The inconvenient grace is that even if kid were to turn around and walk that way, God would go, no, really, kid, this, this is for you. This grace is for you. Because God is in pursuit of us always. So that's what provenient grace is. Have any of you ever had a, a moment where Something kind of miraculous. God showed up in a circumstance in a, in a miraculous way. And you didn't expect it. Well, that's God's grace. And, and it happens when we, whether we believe or don't. God's grace is always there for us. So preventing grace is God's presence throughout our life. From the beginning.
uh, to that moment of conversion. So grace comes before any human decision. You don't have to say yes yet. God's grace is still there. John Wesley, in talking about the natural man, he, he said, if, if God's grace was not there, we would be completely set. We would be told, what's called total depravity. Is it, and it's a theological term, but it, that's a Calvinist term. Total depravity would be completely separate, but because God's grace is always, always there. Always there. You know what? God's grace is always there. Because of that, we are never separated. We never experience that total separation because God's grace is always around us. It's at work before we're even aware of it. It's in pursuit of us. It's drawing us near to God. So before you believe, circumstances happen and, and it draws you near to God. Any of you ever had a praying grandma? That's all about the reading grace. Any of you are a praying grandma? Praying mom? That's all of you. What you're doing is you're praying that God's provenient grace will wrap itself around someone and they'll come to know God, come to know Christ, right? That's what we as Methodists, looking at that one, all grace is God's grace and it's one grace, and we're looking at this prison from over here. But God is in pursuit of us, and there's a great word, I love this word, it's a Ric Flair kind of word. Any of you know who Ric Flair is? Nature boy Ric Flair? What does he say? Yeah, it's God's grace is always wooing us. Wooing us. You know, now that means, it's an old timey word that means courting and drawing us. I just like the Rick Flair goes woo. And I made Nathan go over and say woo this morning. <laughs> Come on, y'all can do it. Woo! There you go. Doesn't that feel good? Just make sure it's good. God's grace is always wooing us. He loves you. He's courting you. He's trying to draw you near to him. It's a gift of, of grace. It's God freeing us. And it's God empowering us. You see, we as human beings were created to be in relationship with God. We were created that way. In the beginning, God created the world, the cosmos, and everything that was in it. God saw that it was good. You find that in Genesis 1, 1 through 25. And then, God created humankind. You know what he said about humankind? He said it was very good. He said, woo! Very good. We're created to be in relationship with God. Of course, we messed that up. We sinned. We separated ourselves from God. But the good news is that God's grace and, and his relationship with us precedes that fall. He desires a relationship with us even more than we desire a relationship with him. The Jeremiah passage, Jeremiah 31.3. And God takes the initiative. You remember after the fall and the story of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, did you know that Adam is simply the Hebrew word for man? Adam and Eve. Do you remember the story of after the fall? What was God doing? Adam, where are you? Now did God 
need to, them to answer to know where, where they were now. But he was in pursuit of them. And he's in pursuit of us. Always. Trying to draw us near. He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, he does it through circumstances. But then it's up to us to respond. And each of us can make that choice. And we will make that choice. Some have made that choice to follow. Some have made that choice to not follow. That's up to you. It's called free will. And so without that choice, then it would then we would there wouldn't be freedom. You have to have the ability to say no or it's not a choice. And many do in our world today. And that saddens my heart because they're rejecting a relationship with the God who wants to be in a relationship with them. Now take us to another view of that prison, and that's justifying grace. And I heard this said, just as, justifying grace makes it just as if I had never sinned. It's that moment when we say yes. You know, God has that gift for you, it has your name on it, and he's been carrying it, trying to give it to you, and then you say, okay, oh, that's the moment that we are justified. We say yes to the relationship that God offers to us. And it's a personal relationship. It's a relationship with that, that self-giving. It's about love. It's not a system of rules and regulations. Now, we like rules and regulations, and we tend to take Scripture and make it all about rules and regulations, but it's not about rules and regulations. Do we want to do the right thing? Yes, we want to do the right thing. Do you want to follow God's will? Yes, you want to follow God's will. Salvation isn't about the rules and the regulations. In fact, Paul would tell us that if you want to live truly free as a Christian, then you need to stop worrying about the law and start following Christ. For me, as a drug addict and alcoholic, when I stopped battling my addiction and started working on my recovery, do you see the difference? When I was focused on my addiction, you know what I kept doing? I kept drinking and drugs. You know what happened when I stopped, focus, stopped focusing over here and started focusing on my recovery? My recovery grew. And it continues to. 20, March 27, 1990, 26 years. And it's like that in our life where our focus is. If you want to focus on what's wrong, you know what you're going to find? What's wrong? It's kind of logical, right? You want to focus on what you, the solution? You want to focus on the problem? It's going to increase, but if you focus on the solution, if you focus on what you can do, you know what's going to happen? That's going to get bigger. You're going to see solutions where you didn't see it before. Too often we get focused over here on a negative and on a down thing when we need to go, okay, yeah, that's a problem. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Then we can start working forward and moving forward. And that has happened here, by the way. Our teacher was here on Friday, uh, Heacher Park, the, the pastor who's going to be coming in behind, the, behind me. And I have got to tell you that it was a cool thing for me to walk through here and explain to him everything that y'all have accomplished in this place. From graph on the, on the hill. Remember when, remember when it was a dirt hill? A building over here that was smelled so bad when I got here, it, it was horrid. And now it's renovated. 
There's an extension going on here. This is painted, black top, crosses, just all oh, signage, all this has happened. Because you all said, okay, yeah, we've got some things we need to work on, but we're not going to stay focused here. We're going to solve them. We're going to move to solution. And we're in mission. There's cool stuff. God is doing stuff. Right? It's cool. And that is, is what gets to keep happening when we move from that focus over here to where we can be. So we accept this relationship with God. And we are justified. We are justified in the eyes of God. Not because of, as our passage said, not because of what we did, because of what Christ did on the cross. When we accept God's grace, we're saying yes to that God's grace that has been wooing us all these years. We say yes, and, and now we're in a relationship. That response is about faith. It requires faith. Uh, watching Tyler Perry's the passion is, he, he, he made that comment that, that if we believe before we see, we take that step of faith. We believe in things we have not seen yet. And I love that about his explanation when he was talking. That was awesome. And that, that's what faith is, is. We don't have to see. You don't have to. We're not from Missouri in that sense, right? In the show me state. You don't have to show me and prove yourself to me. We believe and then we get to see the magnificence and the awesomeness of who God is. So responding to grace is an act of faith. Because we don't merit this relationship from God. We all fall short. We all fall short. I fall short. He falls short of the, uh, of the target of perfection. It's okay because God sees us through the lens of Christ. When we say yes to God and that moment of justification happens now, now God sees us like he puts on Jesus' glasses. Now when he looks at, looks at you and me, he sees us through what Christ did on the cross. And that is a pure and holy thing. We are righteous because of Christ. We are made right because of him. Now there's a lot of different ways that scripture presents this idea of justifying grace. It's known as salvation, healing, conversion, um, having one's sins forgiven, being born again. All of these different terms refer to that moment when we say yes to God. God said yes to us in creation. Very good. We dropped the ball, and God said yes again at the cross with Jesus Christ. I love the Michelangelo, what's the name of that painting where they got the hand and, and you got God and they almost touch. Anybody know what that's called? I can't remember. I literally can't remember. But you know what painting I'm talking about? So what that is to be is that well, that's where we were. Uh, part of the seal. Uh, so where those hands are so close, God drew a cross. And Jesus bridges that gap. So now we are connected. We're connected in a powerful and a new way. Where we couldn't get there, now we can because of Jesus. That cool what? That's cool. So God said yes to us in creation when He created us. That was very good. Yes again at the cross. And then when we say yes to His offered relationship, that's when those things come together. That's justification. So that's another view of that prison. The third view I want to look at is called sanctification. 
that's a big churchy word, right? It's sanctifying grace. What it is, is the gift of God providing the desire and power to grow in our relationship with Him forever. So God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't, okay, cool, you said yes, good luck. He doesn't do that. He walks with us. And sanctification, which is really, a, it's, it's a process of being made righteous and holy, and I'm sure other church words, but, but doing the best that we can to follow God's will in our life. That's probably an easy way to do it. Doing the absolute best that we can to do things the way that God would have us to do. Now, when we're born, we have to grow from, and fit physically, right? We, so we start out as these little dudes, right? Ed, these little, these little guys, like Ryan. And as, as we grow, we, we begin to mature, hopefully. Some of us not, not as much as others. I don't know that I've hit that. I'm still working on it. I'm a work in progress. Same thing happens spiritually, right? Spiritual birth is, is that moment of justification, justifying grace, and that begins a process of spiritual growth for us that is covered by sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace is the dynamic power, and this is a great word, dynamos. The word dynamite kind of, kind of comes from this, dynamos. That's the kind of power we're talking about. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Dynamic power. Dynamic power. It's a real, strong, it's explosive. When we're walking closely with the power of the Holy Spirit, stuff is happening. God is with us. God is with us. You do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. When you wonder, when, you, when something like that happens, you go, how did that happen? Dynamos. The power of the Holy Spirit has worked through you. It happens when we open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and our life. We have to be open to that. We have to be willing to challenge our own beliefs. You know, one of the things that I love about Methodism is that it's a constant learning process. We are to challenge. It's not just that we believe one thing and we hang on to that all our life. John Wesley didn't do that. I love that about him. Because he allowed himself to be challenged by a group called the Moravians that learned about quietism and how to solitude and, 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 and how to pray and how to be quiet and storm. And he worked with Calvinists, and he, he worked with different people, and his faith grew over the entire course of his life. That's what's supposed to happen with us. That's why we continue to study and, and read Scripture and, and, and seek Him in all ways. You see, this, this sanctification comes from what Christ did for us. It's imparted to us because of what Christ did for us. When he died for us and he sent the Holy Spirit here, it gives us a strength and power that is beyond anything that we would experience without that moment of justification. And it happens once, but thankfully it doesn't happen all at once. We're on a journey and we're learning and growing. And one of the things that we have, who've been around a day or two have to remember is if I've been in the church for 40 years, and somebody just walked through the door. I have to be cautious that I don't put my 40 years of Christianity on top of somebody who just walked through the door. I need to be willing to let God work in their heart and their life and draw them nearer to Him and open things to them in the same way that God did that with me. It's hard to remember because it's like, why don't they just get it right? Well, because they just started. You know, it's like with, with Ryan. How come he's not walking and running? Well, he's a little young. It's <laughs> like, I don't know. No. <laughs> Slow down. So this 
Grace becomes a part of us, and we experience an ch- internal change in our heart. And that change changes our life, because now we're not trying to earn God's favor. We, we seek God because of what God has given to us. It's not about earning. It's, it's about, you know, wow, God extended this awesome grace to me. How can I live that out? How can, how can I share that with others? And we'll see by the fruit in our life. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23 speaks to the fruit of the Spirit. When we're living this way, those things are going to come out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, self-control. These things come out of us because of the work that's going on in us. Now, the hard part about this is that for my gardeners out there, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What do you have to do to have other plants? Water and prune. Anybody like when God prunes something out of your life? Yeah, not so much. But if we're going to be healthy and bear as much fruit as we can, then we're going to have to be willing to be pruned, to let some things go in our life that maybe we're hanging on to too tight. The Bible tells us that every vine and fruit tree requires pruning, and so do we. So this life in grace that we're talking about is a life that's in process, and some of this process is painful. Sometimes it hurts to be a Christian. The sanctifying grace is the work of the Holy Spirit empowering us to see and serve Christ to the least and the lost of those among us, and I would say to the most and the found among us. Because we're to be in ministry to all, and all means all to me. It empowers us to be active in our city, in our state, in our church, in our world, making a difference. The Holy Spirit equips us, gives us gifts for ministry. A few weeks ago, I talked about how, how each of us has, has, is gifted in different ways, and when we're right, when we're at our best, the body of Christ needs all of us, needs your gifts, needs my gifts. And when one of us is not, not part of that, there's something missing. First Corinthians, you can read about the gifts, 12 through 14. The Holy Spirit also equips us to obey the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment, love God, love neighbors. I like to add and prove it. The Great Commission, to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. We don't do that of our own power. We do it through the Holy Spirit. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can but See, we're all on equal footing here. Your works don't make you better than anybody else. My works don't make you better than anybody else. Thank you, Jesus. Grace is an essential component to the Methodist understanding of maturity and faith. How many graces are there? One grace, seen in different lights. But it's always one grace. Each of us in here has received a long grace. I've received, trust me, more grace than I deserve. So that grace that I've, I've received, it's up to me to extend that into the lives of others. And it's up to you to do the same. And that's part of the difficulty of being a Christian. It means I have to extend grace to people I may not like. I may not agree with. 
yet I still need to extend grace. And then it calls us beyond what we're comfortable with. So if anybody ever told you, hey, being a Christian is easy, you know what they just did to you? They lied. Now I wouldn't exchange having the presence of God in my life, being able to love and the joy and the grace and the compassion and, and all the things that come with being a Christian. We wouldn't exchange any of that. Being able to have peace in the midst of the storm, all of those things that come from God, that peace that passes understanding, wouldn't exchange any of that. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that being, walking the path that is following Christ is a simple and easy thing because it's not always. Sometimes it's hard. But that's okay. You know? It's okay. There's sacrifice in this life that we choose. There's elevating others above myself. That's okay. It's okay. Honoring the one who died for me. That's the goal. Honoring Christ. The good news is that God's grace is ever present with us, it's in us, it's around us, surrounds us in our unbelief. Whether you believe or not, God's grace is surrounding you right now. That's called prevenient grace. God's grace is there. It's walking with you, drawing you, wooing you, trying to get your attention. <clears throat> and if you're praying for somebody, that's happening. Keep praying. That's God's grace. Act. It justifies us in the moment of acceptance, justifying grace. It empowers us to continue to live as God would have us to live in that sanctifying grace. So those are the three Methodist understandings about grace. And it's pretty amazing, isn't it? So Roberta and kid, if you would come, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story. We're going to close with a song that might be familiar. At the end of December 1772, an Anglican priest in the poor parish of Olney in England worked by candlelight on his New Year's Day service. That pastor was a gentleman named John Newton, and those words struck a deep chord in his heart. In those last days of 1772, he found himself running out of empty pages in his journal. That was a bound book of 300 pages, containing 16 years' worth of entries. And as he came to finish that journal and start another, he began to look at those pages from his past, stories of life of his days as an unregenerate slave trader to becoming a child of God. Newton would have remembered when his rebellious spirit got him thrown off numerous ships, publicly flogged and ousted from his majesty's navy. He would have remembered the shipwrecks and the mutinies, and then the transformation of his heart by the power of the gospel. As Newton considered those days gone by, he would have asked as David did, Who am I, O Lord, that you have brought me this far? As was his habit, he set to work composing a hymn to illustrate his New Year's Day sermon. And in this particular hymn, he would tell his poor congregation of lace makers and low-paid artists about the toils and snares he had faced. He would reflect on the amazing grace that had saved a wretch like him. We're going to close with this song, but more than sing it, sense it, let it resonate with you. As always, the altar is open to you. If you came in with something you don't want to walk out with, God's grace is available to you. Spend a few, spend a few moments where you are, whatever it is. Don't walk out of here with something the world gave you that you can give to you.